We need to be doers of the word. My question to you is, how can we do things unless we can remember them, right? And Because otherwise, you get out the driveway, you turn left, and by the time you get there, you've forgotten what the message is about. So how can you do what we can't remember? So we encourage you strongly. We, it's an old word. We exhort you. We urge you <laughs> to write what the Spirit says to you. Now, one thing I know, every red-blooded Christian wants to grow. Now, here's an honest question. How many of you at some stage in your life have found yourselves stuck in your growth? Can I see your hand? Okay. This is honesty. For those of you who put your hand up, God's favor is on you because he always gives grace to the humble, but he is opposed to the proud. Today we're going to look at the second part of a message which I am putting together, which I have put together, and it's about how to really grow spiritually. There's a lot of um, baloney about how to grow spiritually out there. And a lot of psychology. Today we're not going to look at any of that. We are going to look at the Word of God though and what He has to say. So, to those sitting here and those listening, I want to start by just pointing out a universal desire of healthy human beings is a desire to improve. You want your kids to improve. You want to improve. And we all want to make something of our lives now, one of the proofs of that is there are billions of dollars worth of advertising pitching the whole idea that you can improve yourself. If you buy our product, you'll do better. You'll improve your life. There are products and books and ads all promising you a better you. But only sadly, though, many of them are only short-term results. Here's, here's a typical one here. You, know, you see the next slide? You know, that's where you are, but they all promise you what you can not really get to. And they don't leave any long-term results. Now, here's my question. Is there anything that can ever really make you change in your very deepest parts? Fundamentally shift the foundations of your lives. Not superficial changes. Well, my answer to that is absolutely yes. Intractable problems, intractable behaviors... Things that cause us to not grow and keep us stuck can be changed. But you're only going to find the answer to that in God's Word, in the owner's manual. You go back to it. When in doubt, we always need to read the instructions and check that we're aligned with the Creator's manual. So with that thought, the classic Bible text on how to really change is found. If you have your Bibles, you'll find it in Romans chapter 12, and I invite you to open them up. I always encourage people to bring their Bibles, but if you don't have a Bible, don't worry. We've got the outline, the notes, and on the screen. So I want to start with the physical. I want to start with the physical. Why? Because your body, listen to this carefully, your body affects your behavior. Your muscles affect your motivation and your moods. I'm going to bring this back to the scripture in a second. And your physiology can actually affect your psychology. Now, principle number one. If you really want to change and you really want to grow spiritually, principle number one from the scriptures that gets at this, here it is. I need to offer my body to God. I need to offer my body to God. Romans 12.1 says this. Therefore, and by the way, every time you see the word therefore, you need to go back and look at what it was there for, what preceded this. That's always just a tip. Therefore, I urge...
urge you. There's a, there's a sense of focus here. I urge you, brothers, in view, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This, my friends, is a spirit or your spiritual act of what? What's that word? Of worship. Question, are you worshiping God like this? What do you mean? How do I do that? Because it clearly says by doing this, this is your spiritual act of worship. So let's pull this apart a little bit. Therefore, first word, therefore. Next slide, Chris. I think it is. Tell me I'm wrong, but I think it's the next slide. Therefore, I urge uh, in view of God's astonishing mercy. In other words, in light of all the preceding 11 chapters. We've, that's what the therefore is there for. In view of all these 11 chapters beforehand, which describe in intimate detail the amazing things that God has done for you. Amazing. Paul strongly urges or encourages believers to consecrate themselves. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, okay? Now, a good encourager challenges you without condemning you. A good encourager instructs without lecturing. A good encourager inspires without being condescending. And this is what Paul's doing. A good encourager helps another towards excellence, to where they're designed and destined to go. It says, therefore, offer. Now, offer. Question, is that forced or voluntary? Of course, it's voluntary, right? Offer. In light of all of God's compassion shown to you in the last 11 chapters, therefore, offer voluntarily. Now, Offer what? Offer your body. This is the first part we're going to talk about today. Number one of six. Offer your body. Represent, and what does that represent? It represents the totality of oneself. Everything you've got there. Lay it on the line. One's life and one's activities. What are you offering your body for today? To who and to what? Offer your body. The Bible teaches that God created my body and it is a good body. Don't ever start dissing your own body because God gave it to you with the DNA. It's his property and I'm not to vandalize it or misuse it. Why? Because the Holy Spirit lives within me. Colossians 1.27. Christ in you, the hope of glory. My body is connected to Christ's body. That's what it talks about. And one day, my body, in the same sense of the physicality, you will look very similar to what you look. But the optimal sense of yourself, you'll be recognizable. That body will be resurrected. That's how important. Now, offer your body what? As a living sacrifice, it says next. Now, such an offering is holy, which means set apart. So I'm going to do something different with this body than the rest of the world's doing with, it, with their bodies. I'm going to dedicate my life not to what they are doing, but this body and all that it represents in a different direction. Now, such an offering is holy, set apart, and notice it is pleasing to God when you decide to do this, when you voluntarily offer your body. Maybe that's to build up his church. Maybe it's, you've been using your body to do other things, but you've neglected his body. 
pleasing to God. The trouble is, I've noticed, I don't know about you, but the living sacrifice, the problem with the living sacrifice is it can crawl off the altar. Yes, use me, God, I want for the rest of my life. Next minute, a few months down the line, whoops, slipped off the altar, doing the same thing, right? Doesn't, doesn't seem to like this idea. So God wants us to offer ourselves as living sacrifices, useful in his hands. Not a dead sacrifice, a living one. Daily. Now what does that really mean? Here it is, bottom line. It means laying aside our own desires to follow him. Huh? It means putting all our energy and resources at his disposable and trusting him to guide us. And why do we do that? In view of the last 11 chapters of the amazing things that God has done for us. Now, interestingly, if you wind back a little, in Romans 6, Paul stated that believers presenting their bodies to sin, that means missing the mark, does not make any physical or logical sense. Romans 6, 1 through 3, and 15 and 16. Why would a freed people continue to serve their old master? Dumb. You're free. Continue to serve their own master of the sin and flesh and the desires that we have. Presenting our bodies to serve the interests of our new master, on the other hand, is completely consistent with the gospel and very much in keeping with our new nature and the purpose. And he says, This, some versions say, and this is your reasonable service. Some of you need to get used to that word, reasonable. It makes perfect sense in the plan of God for your life. To be holy means radical separation from a secular worldview that says this is success to what God says is success. And to adopt instead Christ-like purposes in the way that you live. When you do this, this is a spiritual act of worship. Now here are three ways that you can offer your body as an act of worship. Three ways. First of all, by cleansing my body. I haven't put this, but you might want to write this down. The three quick points coming up. Number one, by cleansing my body. And it says here, and the scripture reference, it's on the screen, but you may want to take a note, 2 Corinthians 7 one, it says, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates the body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. So if you revere God, you will purify your body and your spirit. See the connection? Paul is saying here that we must cleanse ourselves from anything worldly that defiles us, that corrupts the purpose of God in us. Get rid of those things that make it easy for us to sin, miss the mark. Now too often Christians deal with the symptoms and not the causes. And we keep confessing the same sin over and over because we've not got to the root of the trouble and purified ourselves. Now notice the, motion, uh, the, the motivation here. Why should I do this? Because for reverence for God, if I revere God, I will do this. We can contaminate our body 
by what we eat. Oh yeah, we can. What we drink and what we do with our body. We can contaminate our spirit by what goes through the eyes and what goes through the ears, what we watch and what we listen to. And he says, consecrate yourselves. Radically set yourself away from the torrent of worldly media that, and worldviews that push you in the wrong direction and will not encourage you to consecrate yourself with God. Secondly, care for body. I can do this by caring for my body. This is how I can offer. By caring for my body. It's an act of stewardship, your own body. Remember what you think you own is really on loan, even your body. You think you own that body, you're actually the keeper of it, the steward of it. Ephesians 5.29 says, No one hates his own body, but lovingly cares for it, just as, just as here it is, Christ cares for his body. Sometimes we, we trade on our bodies. Sometimes you and I get a shock when our body doesn't work so well. We thought, oh, oh, I didn't appreciate health before. No one hates his own body, but lovingly cares for it, just as Christ cares for his body, which is the church. Ephesians 5.29. So how do you care for your body? You keep it in shape. Well, that's a good thing to do for a start. Those of us who have a job where we sit down most of the time, we have to work at that. And I'll tell you why that's important. Because if you haven't got energy, you won't be able to do most of the things that God wants you to do with your life. Be a good steward. That can be an act of worship. Now, some people take that to the extreme. We looked at that last week. Paul said bodily exercise profited a little, but spiritual exercise all the more. So let's not get that out of shape. Some people spend eight hours a week keeping the physical body in shape, but that's probably gone a little too far. And they spend about eight minutes in the scriptures and praying and the holy disciplines and being setting yourself aside. The third thing is by controlling. The third C is by controlling my body. Now, some people cleanse and care for and control their body just out of pride. Just go to the gym, check that one out, right? That's not an act of worship. That is not an act. That's not what we're talking about. If you're doing it because you want to please God, though, that's an act of worship, being a good steward of what he's given you. Each of you, 1 Thessalonians 4.4, should learn to control his body in a way that is holy. Are you controlling your body in a way that's holy and honorable? So Paul is exhorting us there, specifically, let me nail this, so there's no confusion, to avoid sexual immorality. Period. Sex is a gift of God. And what the world does, like everything else, every gift, it corrupts what God has given. So it's perfect and pure in God's eyes. But what the world does is take something that God's done, the enemy, and he degrades it, he corrupts it by using it wrongly. So, Paul's exhorting us to avoid sexual immorality by learning how to control our bodies with fleshly passions. And boy, those fleshly passions are the thing that bring many a person down. So to Christians, the will of God is crystal clear. Holiness and sexual immorality are mutually exclusive and will never mix. In other words, my body doesn't control me and I don't try to ever use a ridiculous excuse, well, I couldn't help myself. 
That's rubbish. 1 Corinthians 9.27, I discipline my body like an athlete. There's a discipline. Disciple and discipline, the two words come from the same root. Training it to do what it should. That's what he does. Now, if we didn't, well, if we did that, don't you think we'd have a whole less moral problems and a whole bunch less health problems? Actually, I was interested this week. I was reading in a magazine I don't read very much. There's an article on health. It's from Time, actually, which is extremely liberal. And he said, I, I, and so I just want to read you one sentence, and I'll pull, pull out of it. It's the best quote I could find. 75% of the $2.5 trillion of U.S. health care stem from two chronic diseases, which, here's the point, here's the kicker, that can be prevented or delayed by lifestyle choices. What? So we could save a bunch of stress and a bunch of cash if we took our bodies and health more seriously. So we're starting with the physical because any growth, any spiritual growth, needs energy. And one of the reasons you don't grow spiritually is you don't have the energy because you've already spent it on other things. You're just too tired to actively grow. You've given your first, for me... The, if I want to give the very best, you get me in the morning. Because I'm refreshed, rebooted, <laughs> heads defragged, hasn't been cluttered up with all the competing thoughts during the day. Now, I want to give that to the first love in my life. Before anybody else or anything else, i.e. cell phones, iPads, gets a chunk of me. So one of the reasons you don't grow actively is you don't have the energy. You're just too tired. You've been burning the candle at both ends. And if you burn the candle at both ends, you're not as bright as you thought you were. <laughs> You've succumbed to the frenzy of work. We talked about that last week. Two things that will stop you. Frenzy, especially, to grow of work and life and, the, and uh, familiarity. Familiarity. Oh, I think I know this. Here's an honest to God truth, you only know what you do. I used to try, my good buddy Kevin, I used to go to my piano lessons quaking, because he'd say, right, show me. And I'm, I'm thinking I've done it, but l let me tell you, the truth is, I, could, I only knew what I could actually demonstrate to him I've done. <laughs> have I practiced through the week? He'd ask me, have you done any practicing? Um, yes. <laughs> and then he'd say, well, show me. This is the truth, whether I'm actually doing it. Some of you come home and you want to sit down and turn on Dancing with the Stars instead of Dancing Under the Stars because you've got no gas. <laughs> the first principle for moving forward in my spiritual growth is I commit my body to God. And that is a principle, by the way, of dedication. Principle number two, I must, if I want to grow, refocus my mind. So body and mind. Body and mind. I must refocus my mind. Where do you get that from? Romans chapter 12 verse 2, the very next verse in the systematic view of this. Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world. In other words, the way this world thinks, the things that this world values. Don't do that. But on the other hand, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Your mind has to be changed. Now, Paul focuses on the mind because he remembered this. Whatever gets your attention gets you. 
Is that on the screen, Chris? Yep, there we are. Whatever gets your attention gets you. The mind is the control center of my attitudes and your attitudes, my thoughts and my feelings and my actions. And as, you, as your mind is being made new, you start to go spiritually by the input of, here it is, God's word, prayer, Christian fellowship, and your lifestyle will start to be transformed. Here we are. This is an interesting verse, 526, not in your outline, I don't think. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing water of the word. So it washes all that junk of the world out with the word of God. So to grow spiritually, you've got to stop focusing on your plan. And start focusing on God's plan as revealed in his word, which never changes as an inerrant an infallible guide to your life. We need to, to grow spiritual. We need to stop focusing on what others want you to do. This could be your children. This could be your spouse. This could be your boss. And start focusing on what God wants you to do as revealed in the washing water of the word. And three, if you want to grow spiritually, you've got to change your mind on priorities that you live by. Some of you are living by priorities that are dictated to by the, mark, by the drumbeat of the world. And that will, you'll never grow spiritually as long as you march to that drumbeat. We are called to be a different people. Actually, one of the old versions says, we are called, now this is strange, a peculiar people. Actually, one of them, another version says, an upside down people. We're going the opposite direction to the world. You love the world, the Lord says, you're not loving me. Notice here it says, do not conform. Don't copy everybody else. And too often we let others shape our lives, what the definition of success is. Have you ever done anything dumb or stupid? Or unhealthy because everybody else did it? Oh yeah. The more you mature, the more you realize that's a really strange thing to do. So don't conform any longer. It says, next part of it. In other words, the implication is, that's been done for a long time. Stop doing that. Stop it, he says. Stop it. These are talking about ingrained habits, ingrained habits of thinking. That could be nursing a hurt. It goes over and over and over and over and over and over and over. And it dominates the real estate of your mind. Or it could be an addiction. My brother spent 14 years in that area. 14 years he will never get back. Going down a cul-de-sac. So do not conform any longer to what? The patterns of this world. What they think is good. Everything you've learned, friends, you and I have learned from models. No question. The question is, what type of model? Who was that model? Because there are no perfect models as humans. Every human is imperfect. So to grow spiritually, we have to learn some new patterns, and we need to take on new models, new ways of thinking, which will bring change. Therefore, to grow spiritually and see change in my life, I must change what I'm looking at, what my model is. I've got to get a new picture of success and of what God wants me to do. I need to see it in a new way. Therefore, you need to meditate on God's word daily to have that washing water of the word wash out all the junk and to correct. The word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword and it can get right to the uh, piercing the division and it can show us what's wrong in our hearts. So, meditate on God's word. Now, godly mentors 
can model and help us, but choose your models carefully. Very carefully. The only perfect model, let me give you the bottom line, is Jesus. 20 times in the New Testament, Jesus says, follow me. That's where I'd recommend you start. Actually, there's an exception to that, and it's only very rarely I've ever seen this work. When my father in the faith became my father in the faith, because at one stage, his name is Juan Carlos Ortiz. And many, many years ago, he'd be talking around the world through various channels to 20 million people. So let's just put that aside. He wouldn't give a rip about that. Not a rip. This is what impressed me about him. He came to Massey University. There was less than 12 of it, maybe between 12 and 20, no more than that. He came and he spent four hours with us and I felt like I'd met with God. His humility, his knowledge of the word, he didn't give a, a toss about... He, he made us feel like the most important people in the world and he drew us and he, straight towards God. We all wanted to be know God like he knew God. But there was a humility in that. This isn't talking about, we're not talking about a celebrity here. We're talking about a servant, a servant who loved us and has demonstrated, and I'm blessed to still have him in my life 40 years later. And he is still a servant. And the more I get to know him, the more like Jesus I'm inspired to be. So in your life, the question is, the models you have, are they positive or negative? Will they encourage you to be more Christ-like or more worldly? Well, by the way, I think I'm just going to mention that. This guy is a real deal. He had four kids. And at one stage, I'm not saying you do this. This is a different context. In Argentina, he's the only guy that had a car, so he was taking all the ladies to hospital to have their babies. Okay? Before he left that place, he gave his entire house away. He's completely unaffected by money. Be, I love people like that. Much like Rick, Rick Warren. I know him personally. He still lives in the same house, and only last year did he trade out his second-hand Ford truck that he's had for the last 20 years. I know his family, I know his wife, and I know his kids. That encourages me. They've kept theologically straight, financially straight, or morally straight. That is a sign of genuine authenticity for the long haul. It says, be transformed. Now, what does that mean there? That's the old word. Remember you learned in biology? Metamorphosis. It's actually in the Greek, metamorpho. But it's the same deal. This is what's going on there. Changing from a caterpillar into a butterfly. Hey, it was a caterpillar. Now it's a butterfly. It's not a better version of the caterp uh, caterpillar. It's actually a completely being changed into a butterfly. Be changed. Be transformed. It's not a new leaf. It's a totally new life. It's not a better version of the old. It's a brand new one. And we're not talking about renewal here. And this verse is transformation. Metamorphosis is a total change, notice from the chrysalis, from the inside out. How? By the renewing of your mind. Ephesians 4, 24, 22 and 24, NIV version. It says, now notice this, there's a put off and a put on. Very practical here, Paulus. He says, put off your old self, which is being corrupted. What's that? How? By deceitful desires. Those things. These are impulses and compulsions that pull us in the wrong direction. And instead he says, be made new. I like this. 
in the attitudes of your mind. And put on. So we've had put off that stuff. Then he says put on. Put on the new self. Created to be like God. And here it is. True righteousness and holiness. Notice again, you must put off before you can put on. Attitudes are like nappies. My son's learning that with the birth of Truman. They're going to be changed off until they really stink. So some of your attitudes, God wants to change. He wants to get to the root of the problem. The third principle for continuing spiritual growth, we can illustrate before we get to it. Let's say you call me up. Actually, let's do it the other way. Let's say that I call you and say, hey, I'm trying to find your house. Whereabouts exactly are you? And how do I get there? Now, the first question you can, uh, you'd have to know is, well, where am I? If I'm in Henderson, it'd be one set of directions. If I'm in Hawara, it'd be another set of directions. So to know how to get to where I need to get to, the first place I need to know is, where am I right now? Right? Now, this requires humility and leads us to this third principle. Here it is. I need to humbly assess my current state. I need to humbly assess where I am. Where am I today? As my mother would say, down to the brass tacks. What really is a state? Because the number one barrier to getting unstuck and growing spiritually is pride. And we touched on a little bit of that last week. It's called familiarity. I think I know it all. So either I don't want to recognize that there's an issue here, or I'm not growing, or I, too, I, I, need, to, I need to admit I need to change. Friends, here's the good news. Nobody has it all together, but God looks at the heart, and he always gives grace to the humble, but he's opposed to the proud. I have to admit I have a problem. Now, the only way to move forward, if you have a financial problem, is to admit I've got a problem. I need to take stock. If I have a problem with my health, the only way you can start to move forward is you have to admit I have a problem. If you have a relationship problem, oh, you can plaster it over, but you're going to be stuck in that relationship. You need to admit there is a problem. And if you're not growing spiritually, you need to admit you have a problem before you can start to grow. And this leads to the very next verse, Romans 12, 3. It says, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. In other words, be humble lest you stumble. Be humble lest you stumble. But rather, it says, so again, it's do not do this. But then he says, on the other hand, but rather, this is a better way. Think of yourself with sober judgment. In other words, be realistic. Get a grip on where you actually are. In accordance with the measure of faith that God's given to you. So the third ingredient for spiritual growth is humility. You cannot grow and be proud. Admit you don't have it all together. And tell God that. Sober judgment, what he's talking about here, is the best policy. Honesty is the best policy. The, new, the NLT version of this says, be honest in your estimate of yourself. Don't think more highly of yourself, he's saying there. So let me just ask you a couple of honest questions. What are you pretending in your life isn't a problem? What are you pretending in your marriage isn't a problem? Or maybe your finances. Oh, that's not a problem. Or the level of frenetic activity. Or growth as a Christian. 
Here's a tough one. We can recognize a problem, but then the next part's a hard part. Do you have the courage to confront yourself? Are you growing as fast as you want to? Because you will grow as much as you want to grow. Because God's willing that you will grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus. So measure of faith. Measure. Isn't that metron? That's the Greek from that. Ask yourself, do I really believe I can change and be different? How do you get more faith? Again, back to the inimitable word of God. So then faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. That's Romans 10, 17. Now the more you hear and apply the word of God, the more your faith grows. The Bible is soul food. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Matthew 4, 4. So the principle that applies here is this. And this is applicable in all of your lives. Mine too. I can only manage what I can measure. You go, whoa, 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 what, 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 what? I can only manage what I can measure. So, two applications from this. Record your progress as you read the Word of God. If you just read it, you ain't going to make much progress. You need to write things down, and you'll see the volume of your writing going up. If you've got one line each day, that's, not my, that's where you are. That's the as it state. Over time, that should grow. You may start off with... Um, uh, our daily bread, or the word for today, that's fine for there. Right now, it's fine for Truman to have breast milk. And then he'll eventually move to bananas and things like that. But if he's still on sloshy food when he's a teenager, that's a serious problem. You can measure the progress. There's an expected trajectory. By now, you ought to be teachers. Number four, the fourth principle, oh, sorry, the second application before I forget that, is to know your current state. Measure it. Otherwise, it's all too woolly. It's too subjective. And here's another good one. Share it with your spouse. Here I am, honey. Ooh, that's going to take some humility. This is what I'm doing. This is where I want to get to. Share that. The fourth principle to enhance your spiritual growth, and we always touch on this in the church, is get in a group. Get some group support. Get in a small group. We, you and I, will not make the spiritual progress we need and want to by yourself. There are no lone rangers in the kingdom of God. Remember even the lone ranger had Tonto. <laughs> Jesus said, you send them out two by two. Actually, think about them. In the out, there was two by two as well. <laughs> so we all need to, we get well in community. If you're isolated, you're going to hobble your Christian growth. God widers to need each other. We get well in community. I need you, and you need me. There are 50 58. 58 times in the New Testament the word one another is used. Love one another. Care for one another. Help one another. Encourage one another. How can you do that if you're by yourself most of the time? You, God never meant you to go through life alone. Even the Lord's Prayer. Listen carefully to these words. Our Father. First of all, there's the first one. Our not my father, our, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be the name. Give us this day, us, not give me. Give us this day, give us this day, forgive us our trespasses as we. See the plural all the way along? Sometimes in a hyper-individualistic society, we've forgotten that we're a community. You were created for community. 
but you need a... By the way, whether you marry or not is completely irrelevant to you. What matters is you need a spiritual family. You need to be specifically part of a small group. Romans 12, next verse, 4 through 5. Just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are all parts of his one body, and each one has a different work to do. And since we are all one, uh, since we are all one body in Christ, we belong to each other, and we each of us needs all the others. Ooh, that grates against the world. I don't need anybody else. Thinking. God says we belong to other, each other and we need each other. You grow faster, you grow better, and you grow stronger in community. Friends, change requires, lasting change requires community. Now, we're starting a whole bunch of new groups and ready for in preparation for 40 days of prayer. Now, if you're not in one, you can, on, on the communication card there, you can, you can take out your communication card, which you've got, which is that document in front of you. Um, and you can just, we're going to take our church through 40 days of prayer and we don't want you to miss out. If you're not in a small group, please check on there. Join a small group. Okay? And if you're already in one, would you do us a favor and just put on there your leader's name? And in a minute when we give our offerings, if you're part of the church, you can just drop that in the basket. Now, at New Hope, we have every kind of background, and God loves. We've got people from all, all, over, the, all over the world. Last time I checked, we had 37 nationalities present in our church. But God, we're all different backgrounds, but God loves variety, and he unites us. Here it is, Galatians 3.28. In Christ, there is no difference. Zero. There is no division. Zero between Jews and Gentiles, free people or slaves, male or female, you are all one in Christ Jesus. So if you want to, uh, that, that shows you why this, that's how heaven's going to be, every tribe, nation, and tongue. And that's why I love our church. There's a great variety of people from all tribes, nations, and tongues. Now, number five, if you want to keep growing spiritually, you need to affirm others lovingly. It's part of the great commandment. Paul deals straight, straight and fast. He says, here it is. He says, 9 and 10, don't just pretend. That's bad. Don't just pretend that you love others. Really love them. Hate what is evil. Not wishy-washy. There's a few conversations I'm going to come up with you this week that you're going to have to make a stand on. Don't fudge right and wrong. By the way, and the reason why we can be very clear about what's right and wrong doesn't depend upon us. It's not our opinion. What God says is right today, uh, was right then, is right today, and it'll be right in the future. What God says is wrong, was wrong yesterday, today, and it will be wrong in the future. We don't move like the world moves on what's right and wrong. Hate what is evil. Stand on the side of good. Don't wissy-wassy. I just made a new word up there. You know what I mean? Don't be wishy-washy. That's what I really meant. Don't be wishy-washy. Love each other with genuine affection. Genuine, not fake. First part of the verse. And take delight in honoring each other, one another. So friends, when we demonstrate love, it'll invigorate relationship. It revitalizes, it renews, and it refreshes, it heals, and it uplifts, and it strengthens, and it empowers Here's a practical verse 
which bears on this. Galatians 6.2, not in your outline. Bear one another's burdens. People around you are hurting. When you bear one another's burdens, you are fulfilling the law of Christ. Question, are you bearing anybody else's burdens or are you just bearing your own? Because this verse tells us clearly to bear one another. When you do that, you're fulfilling. I'm not talking about everybody's. But if you open your eyes, God, open my eyes to those who need some help. Where I can help and should help. I'm not talking about helping anybody who can help themselves. That's being lazy. I'm talking about helping people who really can't. May God give you the wisdom, because there will always be people that say, help me, and I say, hmm, actually, you can do this yourself. Uh-uh, you'll kill yourself doing that. But if you look around and qualify the need, then help. So do you know somebody who needs help? Is there a Christian brother who maybe needs some encouragement or correction? Maybe that you need to humbly, humbly lest you get yourself in a sticky wicket and gently reach out to that person and offer to help them lift or his or her load. So God is why the universe that when you help others, he'll actually help you. You think, oh, I'm so swamped with my own issues. Actually, the way God has wired the universe is even in your need, don't ever wait till you get everything perfect. You'll never get everything perfect this side of eternity. Help them. One last principle. And it's a principle that's just as important as all the others. You and I, to grow spiritually, need to nurture my enthusiasm. In other words, you've got to figure out how to maintain spiritual enthusiasm over the long haul. Everybody's enthusiastic at the beginning of the race. Everybody. But how do I nurture that enthusiasm? Emerson said, nothing great is ever accomplished without enthusiasm. Now, would you agree it's easy to lose enthusiasm, right? Whatever that may be. It's very easy, again, for people to be enthusiastic at the beginning. But how do you maintain spiritual enthusiasm, not for months, but for the rest of your life? Now, I've found that enthusiasm, if you look at the word, enthusiasm, in theos, and that's Greek, in God. The more in God you are, genuinely in God, the more enthusiastic. Let me just tell you another part of this. Religion will kill you. But in God, he never disappoints. People are fickle, but God is faithful. Romans 12, 11, 12, last verse. Never, strong command, never, ever be lacking in zeal. Don't let yourself get... That's what David... Remember this verse? He goes, he kind of looks at his shirt and he goes, wait. So, why are you so downcast? Stop it. Remember that one? Why so downcast? Oh, my soul, put... My hope in who? God. That's what he says. He almost gives himself a talent off. He says, Hoi, so stop it. So here he goes. Never be lacking in zeal, but, so don't do this again. Very clear. I love the scriptures. They're so practical. You know what I think? It's not the things I don't understand that scripture that bother me. It's the things I do understand that don't do. So never be lacking in zeal, but keep 
Your spiritual fervor. Are you keeping your spiritual fervor? Serving the Lord. Keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Some of you are feeling, Then he says, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. So how do you, this is how you keep your spiritual fervor. Be joyful in hope. In the hope that we have, the world does not have. We can be joyful because we have the hope of heaven. God wins. And God's plans will absolutely come to pass. They're immutable. Second, be patient in affliction. When you're going through the trials, Paul says, don't lose your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Don't close down, batten down the hatches. Keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Are you serving the Lord? Is the Spirit of God prompting your heart to quit hunkering down and open up to the hope which is the saviour of your soul? Be patient in affliction. God will bring good out of my situation and I can be patient even in pain. Look at Joseph. This is real. This is not pie in the sky stuff. He was in jail. But he still served the Lord in jail. Remember? He didn't give up. Didn't have a pity party. Didn't pout. And then he says, then I can be faithful in prayer. Why? Because every problem... In every problem, I'm going to panic and pout, or I'm going to pray. I'm going to worry, or I'm going to worship. The choice is yours. Keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. So, in 2021, God wants you to set some spiritual growth goals. Why not? I guarantee if I look around this church right now, and those of you listening, some of you have got financial goals. Some of you got renovation goals. <laughs> Some of you got, I don't know, holiday goals. Have you written down some of your spiritual growth goals for 2021? And that's one thing to write them. That's a step number one. Step number two is share them with those closest and dearest to you. This, by the grace of God, I want to do. As you grow in the knowledge and the grace of our Lord Jesus... Be joyful in hope. Be patient in affliction. And be faithful in prayer. Friends, what you need above all else is you need to get God in your life back at the center again, not lacking in spiritual fervor. And enthusiasm will flow as a result of his spirit. Let's pray. Father, I don't want to go another day without you controlling every room, every part of my heart. So today I want to say I want to take these initial steps for change. I want to dedicate my body to you. In light of all that you've done for me, I give myself as a living sacrifice to you as my spiritual service and worship to you. Holy Spirit, I don't want to think those old ways of thinking, those old patterns. Would you breathe on my mind and renew it according to your word? Would you wash my mind with the water 
of your living word. Because I want to be transformed. I want to grow. I want to change. I want to be a new person in you. I want that metamorphosis. I want to be that new butterfly that's set free from the old ways of crawling around. Father, I don't want to be conformed to all the pressures of what this world and other people want me to be. I want to be what you want me to be, and I want to use my life the way you planned in your purposes. So this year, this brand new year, I pray your spirit and your word would change my mind to align more closely with your perfect will. Help me to think the way you want me to think. And I ask you to forgive me for my pride as I've just bumbled along. And I humbly admit that I need your help. And I want to change my habits, Lord, the way I, the patterns of my life. And I want to grow in a lot of areas, especially with you. Father, I do not ever want to think more highly of myself than I should. And Lord, this morning I admit that the measure of my faith needs to grow. Holy Spirit, would you help me set some concrete spiritual goals that can be measured so that I can manage them? Forgive me, Lord, for thinking that I can make it on my own through this life. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would guide me into a small group. I want you to fill my life with your love so that I can then share it and ease the burdens in some people around me that you've put me close to. Help me to take delight in honoring other people and to focus on giving my life away for you as I trust you to take care of my needs, which I know you will. Father, I want to be a doer of your word. Would you nurture my enthusiasm by being more in you and your word Help me, Lord, to be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. I give myself to you and pray your spirit will grow us. Grow me in the, and grow every one of us here in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Je Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We ask this in your powerful name. Amen.